as a church, we've been going through a series called Stories of Honor, looking at what does it mean to live a life of honor, one that honors God, and what does the Bible have to say about honor, and how we live out honoring lives towards God. And so today, I'm going to talk to you about the story of Gideon. So feel free to open up to the book of Judges in your Bible. And uh, I want to quickly just kind of give you a broad picture of what's going on in Judges, because I think it's helpful. In the book of Judges, we find the nation of Israel in the promised land. So it's an actual geographic location to them that God promised them stories generations before, and now they're living in it. One of the, the rules God set out was that they had to kick out all the other inhabitants so that Israel did not mix their practice, their lifestyle, their worship with the other people groups. Um, And that's really good because those other people groups were um, misusing prostitutes, uh, slaughtering children. So that was like a good thing that Israel would not pick up those practices. But God said, hey, I need you to clear the land. I need you to get rid of all of these folks. Well, Israel didn't do that. They defeated them in battle, but they didn't push them out of this geographical location. And so the Canaanites in the land of Canaan stuck around. And so what we have in Judges is an Israel that's been occupying their promised land with neighbors that were supposed to leave but haven't. And so Israel has started living and worshiping the way their neighbors do, with prostitutes and children and altars to false God and lots of bad, yucky things. So they're disobeying God, and so God allows these neighbors to rule over his people and to steal their food and to oppress them. Um, And so this is the condition that we find Israel in. Judges is a, a collection of stories about six different judges who God brings to leadership to deliver his people from their oppressors. And so what we have is we have a book of cycles. Cycles of um, repentance, obedience, and then disobedience. So Israel's in the promised land. They start doing bad things. And then God disciplines them and lets them live under harsh conditions until they're ready to repent, until they're ready to say, we are done living that way. We'd like to go back to the way you commanded us to live. And then they correct themselves. They worship God and not others. But then eventually they fall back into those, those wicked practices again. And so over and over and over again, we read the people of Israel going through this cycle. And so these judges come at that point in time where the people of Israel are to repent and worship God rightly again. So Gideon is one of those judges. And Gideon, it is in the latter half of the book, So right now, it's almost as bad as it's going to get. So without going into the detail, it's just really tough conditions for the Israelites. They're scattered. They're not united. The Midianites are surprise attacking them. That's another type of Canaanite. They, They surprise attack, kill their people, 
take their food. It's just a really bleak situation. They live in caves. You know, this is their land, and they're hiding in caves and mountains. It's not good. So this is the scene that we arrive uh, with Gideon. So chapter 6, Judges chapter 6, verse 1. Um, actually, verse 12, excuse me. Chapter 6, verse 12. We'll read together. I'm reading a, a Bible that was printed in the 70s, so might not sound nice and fluid, <clears throat> but I like it. <clears throat> and the angel of the Lord appeared to him, Gideon, and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Then Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all of this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers have told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? So this is a very interesting <clears throat> circumstance in which we meet Gideon. <clears throat> what we didn't read is that he was secretly pounding out wheat to make bread so that the Midians wouldn't steal it from him. So he's in hiding, and uh, furthermore, he's not, doesn't come from like one of the tribes that are particularly well-known or considered strong, and so he's just hiding out of fear of being robbed, essentially. And an angel of the Lord comes to him and says, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. <clears throat> and I can imagine that if I was Gideon and the angel of the Lord appeared to me, I'd probably go like this. Oh, me. You're talking to me. <laughs> Gideon's confused. He's confused for a couple reasons. One, he doesn't feel like a valiant warrior. Uh, you hear that in his language. Two, he knows the stories of this God that delivered his forefathers. But he hasn't interacted with that God. It's not a living God to him. It's, a, it's almost a mythology. It's something this God did long ago, but he's abandoned us to the Midianites now. And so he has doubts, <clears throat> and he has questions. And so we begin Gideon's journey of becoming an honorable man, of living honorably before the Lord, and leading the people of Israel into honor with uh, confusion and doubt and mistrust. And I actually find that quite refreshing. So when I first thought about stories of honor, I kind of, uh, I actually thought of Gideon and Samson. Samson was my favorite as a kid, <clears throat> right? Jawbone, 60,000 men dying. That's badass. Who wouldn't want to be like that? You know, you're 12 years old, you hear about Samson breaking pillars. It's like, I want to be like Samson. Then you read Samson. And you're like, yeah, I don't want to be like Samson. <laughs> Same with Gideon. You, you read Gideon, and what I love about what the, what the Bible has to say about living honorably is that it's, there's no Hollywood version. It's real. When you and I are called to live an honorable life, it's first and foremost because God said so. God said to Gideon, O valiant warrior, 
There's nothing about Gideon's life that earned that title, and yet God bestowed it upon him. You and I get to live a life of honor because God said so. Like, that's enough. And our lives don't always look like lives of honor. We have doubts. We have questions. We are unsure. We kind of look at ourselves and look back and wonder who God's talking to. No, God's talking to you. And he's talking to me. In our confusion, in our mistrust, living a life of honor hardly feels heroic most of the time. I'm mostly working through my doubts and questions. And so I find Gideon's response refreshing because I can identify with Gideon. God calls us to live a life of honor and I don't always feel like my life matches that calling, but it doesn't have to. God said so and that's enough. I remember a time when I was in Bible school and after a particular class, you're supposed to have quiet time. They prescribe that for you. And God really met me. And um, I had a prophetic vision of God, which means I had words and pictures going on through my mind. God was speaking to me. And what's amusing is I didn't even believe God spoke that way at the time. So uh, I was at a school that even taught that God does not speak prophetically to his people, which is just amusing now. So God's speaking to me prophetically. I don't even really get that it's prophetic, except that he's telling me things about myself I know aren't true. He's telling me that I'll be freed from addiction. He's telling me that even though I lost my family, I'll have one again someday. He's telling me that I don't have to feel alone, that it wasn't my fault my parents got divorced. Like powerful, intimate things God told me. And I did not feel that way at all. But I was humbled. And I believed it because God said so. Not because it was true yet. And it's just so important to me that if you and I want to live lives of honor, it's not about whether we're already living it first. It's because God is calling it out of us. That's, that's where our lives of honor start, is because Jesus said so, and you believe it. Not because your life looks like it. Mine doesn't. First time I read, first few times I read through Gideon, I kind of thought he was uh, a loser. And, uh, and then I read it again, and I just saw myself all over the pages. And so I just cried. I didn't know what else to do. I want you to see that if you don't feel like your life is honorable or you don't know how to live like a life of honor, there's no prerequisite except believing that God said so. That's it. So God calls Gideon out of hiding. God calls Gideon to a life of honor. He gives him a new identity. And then Gideon believes the word when he sees the miracle. So he makes an altar, he gets some food, he covers it in oil, and then the angel lowers a staff and consumes everything, and Gideon's eyes are opened, he realizes who he's talking to, and he essentially repents and worships. 
So let's jump to 6, verse 25. Verse 25, chapter 6. Now the same night, it came about that the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and a second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal, which belongs to your father, and cut down the Asherah that is beside it. And build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of this stronghold in an orderly manner. And take a second bull and offer a burnt offering with the wood and the Asherah, which you shall cut down. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord spoken to him. And it came about because he was too afraid of his father's household and the men of the city to do it by day that he did it by night. So Gideon realizes who he's talking to. Gideon gets called out to be a valiant warrior. Gideon has doubts and struggles, but then God commands him to do something and he obeys. And so he goes to his father's house at night and tears down an altar created to Baal, one of the gods that uh, the Canaanites worshipped. But he's a little afraid, and so he does it at night. But of course, when the whole town wakes up, they notice that this giant pole is missing, and they want to know who took down their god. And so eventually he gets outed, But his dad comes to his defense, and his dad says, look, this is between Gideon and Baal. If Baal's got a problem with it, Baal can deal with Gideon. We don't need to. Like, if Baal's actually who he says he is, then he'll he'll discipline Gideon. And Gideon gets a new name. They call him Jerubbabel, one that contends with Baal. And... What I, what I love about this moment, first and foremost, is Gideon's obedience. He repented, and then he believed. I really believe that is all that is required to live an honorable life, is to repent and believe. Seriously. But what was profound about this moment is God was asking Gideon to tear down an altar in his father's home. When you and I want to live a life of honor, God asks us to tear down some altars that might have been in the family a little too long. Anger, lust, abuse, you name it. You repent and you obey. And when you obey, you worship God alone. And you tear down the idols of false gods in your family. And Gideon did it at night. And he did it with ten men because he was afraid. And he didn't get chastised for it. You and I might feel timid about living honorably. And you and I might worry about what our family thinks when we decide to live honorably or how our friends will react when we decide to live honorably. And I don't think God's discouraged by that. I don't think God needs your hubris or your overconfidence. I think he just wants your obedience. But what we discover is that as 
as Gideon is tearing down the altar belonging to his father, an idol, God is revealing an idol inside of himself, the fear of man. And this is an idol throughout Gideon's story of honor that's going to keep coming back to him. God doesn't just want Gideon to tear down external idols, but internal ones. Not just the ones that belong to his father, but the ones that he cherish. Gideon is a timid man. I'm a timid man. I get afraid. I get insecure. I fear people and not God. This undermines my ability to live honorably. And God isn't just interested in the behaviors that my parents passed down to me, but the idols and the false worship I cherish in my heart. Uh, I think about this a lot with parenting because that's just the point of repentance mostly in my heart right now. Um, So I said earlier I thought Gideon was a loser until God showed me that I'm just like Gideon. And uh, that was a very sobering moment this morning. Um, There has been anger in my family for a long time. And uh, I've done some work asking God that I would not bear that burden of anger. I know how I felt when my family treated me uh, with anger in their hearts. And, and then when I treat my kids out of anger. <clears throat> it's heartbreaking. Because I still, I, I know how much the anger hurt me, and I still cherish the anger in a moment. I do not want to pass down a a mantle of anger, a, a way of relating to my children through anger. Oh, dear God. But I like getting angry. I like getting angry. It feels good. But it hurts my children and my wife. And so God would ask me to fear him more than my children. God would ask me to fear him more than my anger. I'm afraid of my anger. Not so flattering pictures run through my head when I get angry. And I'm kind of afraid of how I feel. And God would ask me to worship him and fear him more than my anger. It has to stop with me. I can't, I can't pass that to my children. And, uh, and this is what Gideon's going through. 
he tore down a physical altar that represented generations of wrong worship. And then God says, I'm mostly interested in your heart. If you and I want to live a life of honor, it's not about our hubris. It's not about our courage. It's not about whether you feel like you're on top of those little dark corners in your life or whether you feel like you're in control of your idols. No, it's about repentance and obedience. I want to find obedience in parenting my children. But I need to repent first because I'm just like Gideon. This was a very significant moment in Gideon's life, and it's a very significant moment for you and I. You can imagine sitting here, the little dark corners and the little idols in your life that you cherish because they make you feel good, because they empower you, because they bring you comfort. And living a life of honor means repenting of those idols and obeying the Lord. And there's no prerequisite of strength or courage, or it's not about your performance. In a moment of anger, it's not about my performance. If I've got a muster seed of faith that God can overcome my anger, it's enough. And so I find this encouraging. At night, with 10 men, in fear of his own community, he tears down the altar and then hides during the day, but he obeyed. Guys, we can obey. We can obey, and it's not about our performance. We can repent and we can obey, just like Gideon. We're going to jump over to chapter 7. And we're going to read chapters, uh, verses 2 to verse 7. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give Midian into their hands, lest Israel become boastful, saying, My own power has delivered me. Now therefore, come proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, whoever is afraid and trembling, let them return and depart from Mount Gilead. So 22,000 people returned, but 10,000 remained. Then the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Bring down to the water, and I will test them for you there. Therefore, it shall be that those of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, he shall say, go with you. But every one of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, he shall go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, you shall separate everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, as well as everyone who kneels to drink. Now the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 3,000, but all the rest of the people kneeled to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, I will deliver you with 300 men who lapped, and I will give the Midianites into your hands, so let the other people go. So, after Gideon tears down his father's idol, it says the Holy Spirit comes upon him. And this is a line that actually gets repeated all throughout Judges. Um, where the Holy Spirit comes and empowers uh, the judge to do something righteous. And in this case, it's a call together. It's like uh, his leadership is anointed and he calls together the people of, of Israel 
and they join him for this battle. And then God says, mm, too many. You're already outnumbered three to one, by the way, but there's too many. So those who are afraid can leave. And if you remember, Gideon was quite afraid. <clears throat> and then God says, no, no, too many. Um, I'm going to reduce you down to 300. And the test for this final group is how they drink water from a river. And where they're actually stationed is, is a river above the Midian encampment. So if they were to look, they could actually see and a distance where the Midianite army was camped. And the way that soldiers drank water said something about who they worshipped. Those who lapped water like a dog was a, a sign that they mixed their worship with false gods. But God had actually instructed his people long ago that when you drink water, hand to mouth. And so it was a sign for those who were true worshipers of God, those who drank hand to mouth. And what I, I love about this moment for Gideon is even though he's a timid and reluctant leader, God says to him, I only need 300 worshipers to conquer thousands of oppressors. God's ability God's empowerment of our honorable life is not through conventional means. It's not based on circumstance. It's not based on your ability. It's not even based on whether you feel like you're some great leader. Living an honorable life requires leadership. And God will anoint you to do it. But notice again what God cares about. God wants to reduce his army lest Israel become boastful and say that they delivered themselves and not God. God is saying to Gideon, I am your deliverer. I am your protector. I don't need your abilities. I don't need conventional large armies. I need people who worship me in spirit and truth. You can live a life of honor outnumbered and outgunned because I want your heart. When this is all over, I want people to know that I delivered you lest you become boastful. And for those of us who find ourselves in leadership positions, this is such a refreshing and humbling and convicting moment in Gideon's journey of honor because it is tempting. The minute you have to lead other people, the minute you have to lead in a moment, whether it's at work or in your family, it is tempting to get conventionally strong, to do the, to do the things that the circumstance calls for. What God wants from a leader in an honorable life is that he is not boastful, that he is not prideful, and how do we do that? We repent and obey. So what did Gideon do? He commanded the men who were afraid, you're, good, you're free to go. And those who drank like a dog, they said, you're free to leave. 
Gideon obeyed. And God taught Gideon an important lesson about honor and leadership. That he is a deliverer. You can be a reluctant leader. There's no disqualifier here. I mean, look at, look at all, the Gideon the, the whole way. He's timid. He's afraid. He's doubting. He's asking questions. He's confused. God's not phased by that. Those do not, if performance is not a prerequisite, your fears and anxieties are not disqualifiers. Repent and obey. That's, our, that's how we live an honorable life. And on top of that, when it comes time to do it, God sends his spirit and he empowers you to do it. It's beautiful. It's hard. But it's incredible that our God would do that. That he would have no prerequisites and no disqualifiers. He just wants our heart and our worship. Repent and believe. Jump here to chapter 8. Verses 1 to 3. It's a long story, and there's so much detail and good stuff. I'm, I hope I'm giving you a picture of the story without bogging you down in too much detail. But I think there's good things here to say about honor, so bear with me. Chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. Then the men of Ephraim said to him, What is this thing you have done to us, not calling us when you went to fight against Midian? And they contended with him vigorously. But he said to them, what have I done now in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abazir? God has given the leaders of Midian, Oreb, and Zeb into your hands. And what was I able to do in comparison with you? Their anger towards him subsided when he said that. So, the Holy Spirit comes on Gideon. He rallies the troops. They surround the the Midianites. Um, Gideon gets another really cool sign, a prophetic word from God from the mouth of his enemy, which is really neat. And then they bang pots, they reveal their torches, 300 men, and God confuses the Midianites, and some of them kill each other in a frenzy, and they run away. So Gideon, in his first battle, obeys the Lord, and God drives out the army in front of him, and he's severely outnumbered. And so they pursue And they chase them. And they chase the leaders. And he has one of his messengers actually get to the villages before the other Midianites and says, hey, we've got got them on the run. Can you guys cut them off on the other side of the river? And they do. And they capture two leaders, two generals. When Gideon and his army arrives, they get chastised. And that's what we just read. These people said, hey, how come you didn't ask us to join you in the fight? But Gideon was obeying God. Remember, 300 men. Gideon was obeying God. He didn't call for reinforcements. He believed the word of the Lord. He repented and he obeyed. And then the Israelites are now a little upset that they didn't get included in all the fun. And then, like... I would be so frustrated and indignant. Um, I would be tired. Um, I might want to discipline them for their insubordination. Like, you're the general 
of Israel's army. But what does he do? He gets humble. He's being treated unjustly. He's been obedient. And how do they respond to him? They're upset. He doesn't defend himself. He just humbles himself. And he says, look, 300 men, I confuse the army. But look at you. You have the leaders. You have the leaders. And (laughs) they cut their thumbs and toes off because that's a sign that you've lost your ability to fight and lead. And then they cut their heads off. So he's like, you have, look at them. Like, look at the carcasses. You got the spoils of war. Like, you, you are the victors. Living a life of honor requires humility. And when people treat us unjustly, and they will when we try to follow the word of the Lord... We do not need conventional means. Humility continues to be the way for Gideon and for you and I to live honorably. Gideon didn't try to steal glory. He didn't try to discipline them, which he could have as a general. He didn't try to put them down or scorn them. He decided that the glory did not belong to him. It belonged to God. When you and I live a life of honor... All glory belongs to the Lord. And when we're treated unjustly, we're empowered to live humbly. Gideon is demonstrating how to live honorably to us because he has a pattern of repentance and obeying. And so Gideon is secure in his obedience to the Lord. Perhaps maybe for the first time in this whole story. Hard to tell. But he's secure in the fact that he is living and honoring the word of God. And so when he's confronted unjustly, he can be humble. Because it's not about his ego. God is revealing this life of honor in Gideon as he repents from his idols and his false worship. And here he gets to demonstrate what true leadership looks like to his people and to us. And so he's very kingly in that moment. And he leads his people into peace. But the battle's not over. The Midianites are still fleeing. um, And they run throughout the land. And Gideon asks for the help of another group. And that group refuses him. He's pursuing two more kings. He's got them on the run. Look, He's trying to do what God originally commanded. Remember I said at the beginning, God commanded, you don't just defeat them, you drive them out of the land. This is what Gideon's trying to do. He's trying to drive them out on the land. And he's weary, and he's tired, and he comes across another group of Israelites, and he says, look, can we have some bread? Can we have some water? Can we get some nourishment? We've got these guys on the run. And his fellow Israelite treats him unjustly again and says, look, we're not helping you until you have the kings in hand. You're telling me you're victorious, but I won't believe it until you come back with the kings. Gideon gets upset. 
and he promises to punish these men when he returns. So he captures the kings, he brings them back alive to those who refused him aid and says, look at what we've done. The Lord was with us, you refused to help us, and he actually ends up punishing these men and tearing down the altars in their hometown. He punishes them as the general. And so we have this Gideon who is coming into his leadership, who's having idols revealed, who is repenting and obeying and living honorably and acting humbly. And and then something goes wrong. And, you know, you read these stories and sometimes it's hard to tell where these people go wrong. I find it hard to tell sometimes where I go wrong. When I look back retrospectively, I go, hmm, shouldn't have done that. Not quite sure when I decided to do it. But I found it hard to pinpoint, when is this moment when Gideon stops repenting and obeying? I think we pick it up here in 8 verses 26 to 33. Let's go to 22, verse 22. The men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, both you and your sons, and also your sons' sons, for you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, nor shall my sons rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. I read that and I was like, Right on. Good answer, right? (laughs) Worship the Lord. But Gideon said to them, verse 24, I would request of you that each of you give me an earring from his spoil. So they gathered gold earrings together because they were Ishmaelites. And they said to him, we will surely give them to you. So they spread out a garment and every one of them threw an earring from his spoil. And the weight of the gold earring that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold beside the crescent ornaments and the pendants and the purple robes which were on the kings of Midians, the ones that he had slaughtered, and beside the neckbands that were on the camels. Next. And Gideon made it into an ephod and placed it in his city, Ophrah, and all Israel played the harlot with it there, so it became a snare to Gideon and his household. Sick. Gideon has this moment. He arrives victorious with the heads of the kings in hand, proof of his conquest and God's presence. And uh, I'm just trying to imagine holding a head and going, see, God was with me. (laughs) So foreign to me. Uh, But God was with him. He's holding a head. (laughs) So they're like, rule over us. And as a judge, not a king, Gideon knew it was not his role to rule. But he did something very improper. He asked for their spoils. But this change of heart didn't happen at the moment of leadership. 
This happened earlier when he stood before the two kings and he condemned the Midianite kings for what they had done. And he asked his son to kill the kings. And it says his son was young and reluctant to do so. And the kings said to him, they said to him, I'm going to find it here. Uh, a man, so a man is, so a man is his strength. They said to Gideon, if the Lord is really with you, and if you're as strong as you say you are, you'll be a man and you'll kill us. And so Gideon stands up and cuts their heads off. Now what went wrong? Gideon stopped listening to the voice of the Lord. He listened to the voice of those other kings who worship false gods. He stopped letting his life of honor, his leadership role, be defined by what the Lord says and by what these kings said. And what did that turn into? He asked improperly for the spoils, the gold from war, and he creates an ephod, which is like a priestly cloak kind of thing. And he goes back to his hometown, Ophrah, where he first tore down his dad's altar and builds another one. And it becomes a snare to his family. And yes, yes, Israel enjoyed peace for 40 years. But eventually they went back to serving other gods and playing with harlots and worshiping at the altar of Baal. Gideon, all this time, was listening to the word of the Lord, and he was repenting, and he was believing, and God was working out those idols, and he was living a life of honor, and he was leading others into a life of honor, and he stopped listening to the Lord's voice and created an altar in the very place he, he, he tore one down at the beginning of his obedience. Sick. But I, again, I have to say, I'm like Gideon. This isn't the end for Israel. They enjoyed 40 years of peace, but his job was to rid the land and lead Israel back into right worship. And he didn't do it because he couldn't do it. You and I are called to live a life of honor. And we must repent and we must obey. But the battles we fight are for the Lord's to win. Ultimately, you, I'm not delivering my family from the curses and the altars that my forefathers built for me. This is a, a failure for Gideon, but it's a reminder to us that ultimately the Lord is our deliverer. No king no man. If, if your failures don't disqualify your life of honor, then your successes don't define it either. You living a life of honor isn't then defined by your success. It is defined by repenting and believing in the word of the Lord. 
success is good, like it's all good, right? But that's, that's not the defining feature of your life of honor. It's worship, it's repentance, it's faith, and it's leading others in that way. And so Gideon went back and created another altar. And isn't that what you and I do? I see that in my work. I see that in my parenting. I see that in the way I relate to Tara. I tear down altars and I build new ones. Because the heart longs for those things we cherish so much. I'm going to finish with a story, a quick one. I had a dream several years ago. I was in a room and my, my grandfather came up to me. Uh, some of you know him as Ted. And he handed me a box. And in the box was full of really cool treasures and, and things uh, of inheritance that he would pass down. But in that corner, there was a real dark spot. And when he handed me the box, he had tears in his eyes. And he said to me, he said, I'm sorry I couldn't clear out the whole box. I'm sorry I couldn't get all of it. And I, I received the box. And I looked at his face. And I saw God, my father. I saw an honorable man who spent his life living honorably so that I could live honorably. And when I received that box with a dark corner, I was not upset. I did not think he'd failed. I was humbled. And I knew that God was saying, now it's my turn. You or I are going to pass down ways of living, ways of thinking, moments Significant moments to our children and to our friends and to our family who are watching, to our coworkers. And all of those dark corners in your heart, you're not Jesus. You're not God. You can't get rid of all of those things. That's for him to do. If my grandfather gave me a box and he cleared it all, who's the hero of that story? He is. But he's not. And he doesn't need to be. And I loved and respected him for the box he gave me, my inheritance. And I did not consider him less than because there were some dark corners. I realized it was my turn to repent and obey. And hopefully, by God's grace and power, that dark corner would get smaller. Worship team, please come up. We started Gideon's story with God calling him out and giving him a new name and wearing a new identity. And we finished Gideon's story with him wearing an identity he made for himself, a gold cloak, a gold ephod. My question, we've talked about examples, we've talked about lots of things, and you can imagine yourself as Gideon as I do. My question to you is, what identity are you wearing If you want to live a life of honor, do you identify with strength, conventional means, performance, anxiety, or do you identify that you have been clothed in the name of the Lord? You, church, have been called to live an honorable life. 
You have been clothed with honor because God said so, and that is enough. My prayer and my hope is that we don't create these ephods of false worship, but even if we do, the calling is the same. To live a life of honor is to repent and believe like Gideon. Will you join me in living that way?